This is Beth. And this is Jeff. And this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Hey, friends. Welcome to episode 66. This is the third episode in a three-part series where as a Christian Enneagram business, we're tackling the question, should Christians use the Enneagram? And like I've said before in the other episodes, Jeff and I started using the Enneagram back in 2001 when he was in seminary. And this is a question we had. And so we want to unpack what we've learned and how we've grown in the understanding of using the Enneagram from a gospel-centered perspective. We unpack this in this three-part episode with pastors Adam Breckenridge and Tyler Zock. So we can't wait for you guys to listen to this third episode, but if you haven't listened to the other two, please go back. Start with episode 64. This is uh, called Thinking Theologically About the Enneagram. Then episode 65 is a response to the history of the Enneagram. And this episode, we're going to tackle the topic of the Christian approach to using the Enneagram. I can't wait for you to hear. So let's dive right in. Well, friends, welcome back to this uh, final episode, uh, talking about an answer to the question, should Christians use the Enneagram? And, you know, the, the answer is not simply a yes or no. It's a yes with qualifications that, um, you know, this is a tool. This is not the scriptures. This is not um, an authoritative text or body of knowledge, but simply a helpful tool that uh, does have some application to our relationships and to our spiritual lives. And so, in this next section, um, knowing that we've all been using this uh, in coaching and pastoral counseling, and having been done so for a number of years, we had the opportunity to have some experiences in seeing how people have used the Enneagram, but may have used it incorrectly. And so, we want to spend this time talking pastorally about uh, the Christian's use of the Enneagram. And I thought it would be great to start with um, defining a biblical worldview, mm-hmm. because this is one of the interesting things about using the Enneagram, is that the various teachers, so from when Naranjo first taught, his students ended up taking what he taught and teaching it from their worldviews. So you can't just say there's one worldview to the Enneagram, because depending upon their uh, spiritual tradition or context, beliefs, uh, or even their denominational uh, tr- uh, history, um, people will teach to answer the worldview questions differently. And those worldview questions are, um, who is God? Who is man? Uh, what is man's problem, and what is the solution to that problem, and what is the hope that is to come? And so, for Christians, that worldview is that God has made everything uh, out of nothing, and that He has made us in His image to reflect something about who He is uh, as God in Trinity. And we had right relationship with God, with creation, with one another, and even with ourselves. And the problem is sin, uh, that is willful transgression against the commandments of God, but also not only is it sinfulness, there's also fallenness, that is that we face a cursed creation, 
and that in the midst of our own fallenness, we experience shame and we experience guilt as it relates to sin and trespass. And what is our hope? Our hope, our, our solution to this problem is the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, that God became man to live the perfectly obedient life, died a brutal death on the cross in our place, uh, and then rose again from the dead in a bodily resurrection and now has ascended and bestowed upon his children his spirit and calling. And our hope to come is a new creation where Christ will then join his people and restore all things. So God does not make junk and he doesn't junk what he has made. He will redeem all of it. And we will be back in relationship that we had in the garden. Now, that is not necessarily the worldview of Enneagram teachers. And, but can you teach the Enneagram with all of its descriptions and of each type and where they go and different circumstances and do so from a Christian worldview? But as we all know, these teachers don't share these same things. And so why don't we begin by just uh, stating uh, from, I'd love to hear from the both of you, how is a biblical worldview different than the worldviews of various Enneagram teachers? That's so well put, uh, Jeff. I think, you know, one of the things that people think of when they think of using the Enneagram is it's sort of like this Ouija board that we kind of like get out and open up and play it like it's some sort of game. But no, we're just like I said, we're gleaning insights from it. But we have a Christian worldview, uh, which you eloquently said, Jeff. And I think one of the, the, the biggest things is that our ultimate goal in our worldview is to know and experience God, to know his love uh, and to, to know him, to be united with him. And whereas I think the, the Enneagram worldview, the secular worldview, would be to it, the goal is to know ourselves. It's to, to know ourselves in deeper ways. And um, we would say, no, it's, it's to know God. And our, our, we would say that our main problem is that we have fallen from our original union with God. Uh, you see that in the garden. Uh, we have not fallen from our original essence. So uh, in Enneagram worldview and some, uh, you know, like you said, there's, there's different teachings, different worldviews out there. But what's, what's common is this idea that we were sort of uh, born pure with this pure essence and that our ego and personality has created this barrier and that what we need is this knowledge uh, to return back to our original essence and if we return back to our original essence we'll be at peace and we would say no we're not at peace until we are united back with god our creator mm-hmm. um, so th- those are just a few things that come to mind adam what are some of your thoughts about how the christian worldview is different from some of the teachers of the enneagram yeah, so um, similar thoughts, and I'll, I'll just drill, drill down on one thing. I think um, mostly it has to do with this idea that uh, a lot of Enneagram teachers, and it's it's really, um, you know, it's it's sort of a, just a, 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 a cultural doctrine. Uh, things terminate on self. The whole the whole thing terminates on self. So um, the real it's this sort of um, 
radical individualism and anti-authoritarianism. Uh, I'm kind of my own boss or my own, you know, my own authority. And I'm not negating that we all have agency and freedom and we do have authority because we're created in God's image and we're made to be rulers. So that's a Christian worldview. But this idea that I'm the ultimate authority, um, uh, that I get to re- redraw the boundaries of truth or the moral boundaries to suit my purposes. I get to define truth on my own terms. And really liberation comes from, uh, from if I can tap into the, the, the divine self or the power that's within me, the biggest difference would be um, in, in a Christian worldview uh, you, you need something outside of yourself in order to uh, truly set you free. And just to make a philosophical argument, um, we, the one, one place where we all agree um, is that we all have a brokenness inside and we're all trying to, to, we're all fighting for redemption. I mean, any, any secular framework of care is going to acknowledge that, that something's wrong. There's a problem within us. There's just something wrong. And we'll, 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 we're trying to find a place to place the blame. Uh, how do we understand that problem? What's what's the cause of that problem? But a, a simple kind of just philosophical framework is I I can't be the solution if I'm the problem. Um, and and so uh, I, you know, coming from my own personal experience, when I've tried to fix myself apart from Jesus, I usually just end up with a new addiction. Um, uh, I'm still not sober. I'm still not um, whole. I just end up with a new coping mechanism that is a new unhealthy attachment that is now kind of controlling my life. So that's the biggest difference of a Christian worldview is would say um, you need you need God to break in from the outside and to rescue you. And he's done that in the personal work of Christ. Oh, go ahead, Tyler. Oh, yeah. And just that just that uh, topic of salvation, um, you know, even like Nietzsche and and other philosophers and worldviews out there all have this common uh, theme of salvation. We all long to be saved in, in a specific way. And, you know, in our culture, it'd be, you know, a relationship can save you or a career can save you from your own yeah. personal hell. So we, we all long to be saved in our own way. And I ran across that when I was reading Claudio Naranjo. He said that all human beings uh, long for liberation. Yes. Um, and that if we, we can liberate ourselves from the bondage of our ego personality. So the, the villain is sort of our ego and our personality. Uh, and that if we can liberate ourselves from, from that, if we can have our, have get enough self knowledge about ourselves to liberate ourselves from that, then we will be liberated. And, you know, a, a gospel worldview says you know, that, that Jesus, not knowledge uh, is yes. what liberates us. And sin is our problem. Our own personal mm-hmm. rebellion against God is our problem, not our ego, our personality. And so a Christian worldview would say that Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our liberator. It's not knowing more stuff. It's not yeah. reading books. Right. It's, it's Jesus. It's a person. Right. Yeah. Tyler, that's a great example too of, of what we talked about in, in our, in, in the last episode of, uh, of doing some contextualization where you, 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 you affirm what's true in uh, Naranjo's system. Like when he says, we're all looking to be liberated. If you're having your own Paul in Athens moment with Naranjo, you're going to grab onto that and say, yes, that's true. Absolutely. This is where we agree. Um, and then you're going to gently confront, you know, what, where we disagree in love, 
but where we disagree on, on that. And then you're going to connect this longing for liberation to Jesus and, how, and show how Jesus is the, the, the answer, the way, the truth, and the life, the, the, the path to freedom. Now, Bethy, in kind of the domain of your Enneagram coach, we have a particular phrase about this, about who is the Savior? Is the Enneagram or is Jesus the Savior? And well, yeah. tell I mean, us about why we put such emphasis on that. Well, I mean, I think all humans are looking for a Savior, and we want something tangible. We want something right now. We want the new book, the new clothes, the new diet, the new parenting style, whatever it is, something save us. And so we're looking and searching. And if something gives a friend hope or us hope, we cling to it all the more. And we're going to be sad and dissatisfied because nothing on earth can ever do it. So though the Enneagram is an amazing tool, it is the gospel that transforms. We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom? From your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90-minute sessions, and there's eight of them. Plus, you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. And which is kind of interesting because we, we specifically use the term gospel because even for Christians, um, they have misunderstood what sanctification, what growth in Christ looks like, and at times have focused on, oh, if we just know more of the Bible, our life will change. Mm -hmm. Or number two, if we just obey the rules of the Bible, our life will change. But really, those are not, those are just Mm sub-gospels that the reality is that it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And so our hope is in the person and work of Jesus Christ, not in our insights, not in our obedience. There's no other way I can get around it. I have to deal with the person of Jesus Christ. And early on for Beth and I, that's what we began to realize with the Enneagram, is that the Enneagram is sort of like an x-ray. It, it can tell you that there's a problem, but it offers no solution except for more descriptions about your problem. And, but then it, it gives you these ideas of vision, who you could become, like here's who you could be at your healthiest. But there's no power in either of them except willpower. Right. And, you know, when we teach it at uh, your Enneagram coach, I, I think, well, a miss way of teaching the Enneagram is to say, okay, well, as a type nine, when you're healthier, you 
do these things or you should look this way or be this way. And it's like, okay, I'm going to like hunker down. I'm just going to be like that. You know, you could try all you want and you're going to get exhausted. And what we're not saying is, oh, well then don't do anything. Like, you know, it's all a loss. What we're saying is when you see what we're really focusing on in odds, our heart condition, because that's what God is focusing in on. Is our heart aligned, misaligned, or out of alignment with the truth of the gospel? When our heart is aligned with the truth of the gospel, it knows, believes, and trusts in who we are in Christ. And it solely rests in that identity. It's not based on our works. It's not based on what we did wrong. It's solely based on the perfect life and the death of Christ applied to our life. Now, so what happens if we're misaligned and we're not doing well? We're struggling. So should we pull up our bootstraps and check things off a list? And, you know, well, I mean, there is a point of obeying and doing what the Lord says. But before that, we have to surrender and admit where we fall short, come under the forgiveness of Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to restore us. When we are at that humble state, like where we die like a sea, like John talks about, he is the one that brings us back up. He's the one that restores and renews and, and brings about the fruit in our life. It's not about us. And so when we teach about the Enneagram, it is not a fixation on us. It's a fixation on Christ. Yeah. If I could touch on that exhaustion piece, you said, just of living the Christian life, because we already mentioned how beautiful it is that we're not just reunited to a better version of ourselves, but we're, we're reunited with, with Jesus who lavishes love, affirmation, approval, power, you know, all those things. So that's beautiful in and of itself. But also there's good news uh, for living the Christian life, which you just mentioned, Beth. It's, it's, it's not, you know, doing it without God is very exhausting. Self-help, self-help books and self-improvement techniques are exhausting. Uh, and I think that's, uh, the, the gospel has something to say to the Enneagram uh, in, in that, those areas. So for, for instance, uh, you know, the Enneagram sort of secular worldview would say that we need to let go of our false self and uncover the, the true self's pure essence underneath. That's kind of the process of transformation. That it's, that's its version of sanctification. Or we would say, no, we change by letting go of our old self and then putting on the new self that's made in Christ's image, uh, which is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our power source to change is the Holy Spirit, not ourself. So we're not relying on ourself um, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but our power source is the Holy Spirit. Um, And so that's, that is good news. That is good news for for living the Christian life. And it's much different than, than doing that apart from Jesus. That's right. So Bethy, where do you find, I mean, because there is this limitation that whenever you're doing Enneagram work well, uh, when you find your type and you kind of feel a punch in the gut, like, ugh. Oh, I know that about me and I don't like it. And the Enneagram in some ways just leaves you there, but it may give you another description. And what is it that you think is the role of the Holy Spirit? And why is the Spirit, why giving acknowledgement and by faith, uh, believing the Spirit's working on is so important as it relates to coaching with the Enneagram? Yeah, I mean, the Holy Spirit, wow. You know, when I think about coaching clients and they see their shortcomings or they've made a mistake or they've sinned, you're right. We, as humans, naturally go to guilt, shame, maybe anger, uh, self-condemnation. And some of that is good. It's it's part of the prompting of the spirit for us to come under 
um, his headship and to be forgiven and renewed. But it can go much further than that. That is not what he is intending. And so I think of it more as the good shepherd and the sheep. The The shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know his voice, but we often wander off. We stray away from what good he is giving us. We think we can do it. Like, oh, look, there's a puddle over there. I'll go drink, you know, the uh, pesticide filled water because it looks good. Or um, maybe I'll wander over here because the grass maybe looks a little greener over there when everything we need is in his midst. Now we wander off and a lot of times we don't even know, but it is the Holy Spirit that sees us and knows us and comes and pursues us. And though we made the mistake, he's the one that assures us. He's the one that brings us back to himself. He's the one that gives us a new mindset that we are safe in his care. And so it's, it's a little bit different than heaping on shame and fear and guilt and all these things. It is bringing to mind the love and the provision of Christ what he has done and what he continues to do in and through us to become more like him. And here's the thing, because you had said, you know, like when we see our type, we get a gut, you know, punch like, oh, I don't like that. And that is true because the Enneagram is a non-judgmental friend. It tells you exactly what's going on when you're not doing well, but it also tells you what it's like when you're doing well. And so what I, one thing I want people to realize is that when we are aligned with the truth of the gospel, the overflow of our heart, which is what God is looking for, the overflow of our heart is a representation of Christ. We reflect God. And that is really what it's all about. How can I reflect God more? How can I reflect Jesus's love to others in and through myself? And therefore, not only do I get to experience the abundant life that he talks about, but others are going to also reap that benefit as well. Well, one of the last things that, um, as it relates to worldview, that I want uh, to highlight is the issue of authority. So it, it's very popular with any personality tool where someone finds hope that to understand that you're either an introvert or extrovert and that you're different from other people and there is a way in which you function. And there is a tendency that for those who get really into the Enneagram, like, this is who I am, this explains my behavior, and either you need to accept it because I, cause I'm not going to shame, or not going to change, or they become defensive, like, well, this is just who I am, I'm sorry, I'm going to make these mistakes because I'm this type. But the issue of authority is really important as it relates to how we answer the questions of worldview. The Enneagram and some of its teachers are trying to say who you are and what your life should look like. But what we're saying is that, no, the scriptures are our authority, not the Enneagram. Would either of you guys like to comment on that and share some of your thoughts pastorally about the issue of authority and allowing the Enneagram to describe but not to dictate who we are? Yeah, I... um regularly have conversations with, with our people, with, uh, with, you know, Christians, um, just engaging, uh, in, in this conversation with them about how God's love in Christ is, is really the only reality big enough to hold your identity. Um, and, you know, Jeff and Beth, I know you guys have done a whole podcast series on this, but we're more than a number 
So um, a number or a combination of letters, like, like if you're thinking about Myers-Briggs or something, mm-hmm. um, or any letters behind your name or any title you have at a job or any accomplishment or achievement or description from a personality test or theory, uh, any stuff that you own, um, what, none of that stuff is, is enough to define you. Um, because the, the scriptures actually teach that your heart was made to, to exist in relationship with God. I mean, you were made by God for God. Um, and so uh, it's, it's only in the context of that relationship through Christ that, that you can discover who you really are and who you were made to be. So um, can, can, uh, can a personality tool or theory um, help you understand some things about yourself? Uh, absolutely. De- definitely. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely want to caution against, uh, allowing that to put limits on any of us or put us in a box. Um, I mean, the, the reality is we're, we're, we're so much more complex than that. Tyler, what about you? I would say that the Enneagram is helpful, uh, to diagnose, not define. Uh, so it's helpful in diagnosing, um, our hearts, uh, not defining us, um, and the gospel provides the treatment. And I, I approach it the same way I do uh, the Strengths Finder. Uh, I love the Strengths Finder. It's been so helpful. Not as helpful as Enneagram, but it's been helpful. And so I, when I approach that, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not too concerned about the authority of Gallup or anything like that. Um, but I, I read the book and I allow the Holy Spirit to point, to put his finger on what resonates with me and what doesn't resonate with me. I don't let the strengths finder define me and my strengths tell me who I am. I, I read through it. I'm like, Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I really resonate with that. Uh, and allow the Holy spirit to um, guide me through that process. And so that's what I do with premarital uh, counseling sessions and things like that. Uh, I just say, Hey, read, read this. Don't let it define you like read it and allow, and allow the Holy spirit to point, put his finger on certain areas and then to bring those to light so that we can have good conversations about it. Right. Well, one of the things that come to mind, particularly about the Enneagram and perhaps giving it too much authority is the Enneagram measures some things, but not all things. Right. And there is a tendency like, well, what can it help me with my parenting? Can it help me with my work life? Can it? And there are a lot of applications because it deals with uh, core motivations. So out of the overflow, the heart speaks. So it does speak with motivations. It does speak to patterns and helps you to give vocabulary to understand these patterns and where they originate in your interior world. But it doesn't measure all things. Uh, I mean, it, sometimes that people want to correlate it with these other personality systems, and um, which could be a helpful exercise, but sometimes there's not a direct correlation to these things. So no one Enneagram type has a spiritual gift, but rather each Enneagram type can express a particular spiritual gift. And so it can be... A, and just to keep this in mind over like it was never intended to be an authority for your life in the way that the scriptures uh, are, that it's useful for correcting teaching and training in righteousness. It is helpful for faith and salvation for in all things the scriptures are, yeah. um, but not, not so much the Enneagram. So just to kind of land the plane as it relates to a Christian worldview, and we've sort of discussed these, what is the Christian worldview and the limitations of the Enneagram as it relates to it? And so some teachers answer, who is mankind? Who are people? 
and what is our problem and what is the solution and what is our hope to come. When an Enneagram teacher's use of the Enneagram does not align with a biblical worldview, we as Christians are called to reject it. But that doesn't mean that we, could, that we have to altogether not use the theory of personality that the Enneagram uh, gives us. These categories and vocabulary, these um, descriptions of the dynamics of our interior world, and as we live in relationship with God, ourselves, and others, and creation— there actually are some very helpful things that the Enneagram does speak to. And so I'd like to have each of you speak to what are some things that you see in the Enneagram that you believe that the Christian can redeem? Yeah, that's good. Um, so I think, you know, uh, some of the truth that that is being revealed through the Enneagram that we can redeem is um, this reality that uh, we are created for relationships and we have certain um, vices, weaknesses, you know, different Enneagram teachers use different language, uh, coping mechanisms, defensive strategies that are uh, hijacking our life, hanging us up, um, getting in the way of intimacy and connection with God and with others and even with ourselves. You know, we some of our defensive mechanisms keep certain parts of us buried and I think this fits, if we're redeeming this, I think this fits with a, a biblical framework. Um, you go back to Genesis chapter 3, and um, immediately when trust is broken with God, you see human beings resort to the only way we know how to cope with life in a world where we don't trust God anymore. And that's through covering, hiding, and blaming. And you look at each of the nine types and look at some of the defensive patterns, um, it's all forms of covering, hiding, and blaming. So I, I redeem that all day when it comes to teaching the Enneagram to say, hey, these are specific ways. When I'm working, coaching, counseling people, including myself or my family, hey, these are specific ways that you're seeing Genesis 3 play out in your life. Look at this is ways you're hiding behind the bush from God. This is ways that you're trying to cover up this core underlying shame that you cannot outrun. Um, and so, uh, and then on the, you know, flip side or positive side of that, there's, um, there's different ways, you know, the scripture teaches that we're all created in the image of God and reflect his potential and his beauty. And, um, you know, there's, there's, I, I would redeem that side of the Enneagram for sure to say that, uh, Hey, there's beautiful humans have limits and potential, you know, brokenness and beauty. And um, here's the here's the ways that you see both of those play out through the Enneagram. And the Enneagram reveals that. I, I would totally redeem that. There are certain parts of the Enneagram that give language and vocabulary to what we know to be true as people. Um, and so some of the things that come to mind, I, I have here, I wrote down six things that come to mind that I appreciate that helps me as a Christian um, that come from the insights of the Enneagram. Um, number one, um, Psalm 139, Romans 7, where David and Paul both play, I don't understand myself, and I need clarity regarding my interior world. Now, what's different than what some teachers might say is that they were reaching out to God to understand themselves, uh, whereas 
some teachers may give more authority to the Enneagram to define who your interior world is, but the Enneagram gives vocabulary to parts of me that I am unaware of, of why do I think and feel in the way that I should. Uh, number two, it deals with motivations in the heart, which is a very biblical principle, that it's not just about behaviors or preferences, but these things originate out of motivations and longings, that we are thirsty people um, and that we act on those thirsts. Uh, the way that James describes it, what causes fights and quarrels among you doesn't come from the desires that wage war in your heart. Our sin begins in our hearts. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think number three, relationships. You know, the fruits of the Spirit versus the fruit of the flesh. That the Enneagram has this great application to understanding, like, when your heart is in an unhealthy place, and we would use misalign with the truth of the gospel based upon Galatians 2 and uh, Paul confronting Peter, you're no longer walking in line with the truth, is that it shows up in our relationships, that this is not just about a person, but this is lived out in relationships with other people. I think number four is it reveals our need. Now, different teachers are going to answer that need, but man, the Enneagram is great. Like, you don't walk away from the Myers-Briggs thinking, I'm an introvert, I need something. Like, it, you just, it just explains it. Like, you're just an introvert, you find energy apart from people and being with yourself. Oh, okay. You don't coach that, it just is. Well, the Enneagram says that um, each type may isolate themselves out of a fear, and we need something out of that, and it reveals what that need is. Uh, number five is growth. It says that there, there is a future for you that is healthier. It's not just static. And we know this to be true biblically because we, there, there is this invitation to become something that God intended for you to be. And it's going to happen in relationship with Jesus Christ, not just through insight. And I think the, the last one that came to mind for me is that God has made us uniquely to reflect His image. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, just think about, I mean, we, you may, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, um, that God set His love upon us before the creation of the world. He has uh, knit us together in our mother's womb. He has prepared good works in advance for us to do. He has bestowed, He has chosen the time, the places in which we are to live, and He has bestowed upon us gifts in order to serve other people and to uh, serve in the context of cultivating creation. So God has uniquely, I mean, matter of fact, Paul uses the word poema. We are God's artisanal craft to reflect something of who He is uniquely. And the Enneagram says that you're not like everybody else. And, you know, for those who are unfamiliar with the Enneagram and may just think, well, there, are we really saying that all humanity can be described in nine basic types? <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> and that is a misunderstanding, and it's, 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 it's a statement out of assumption. Um, it's not by studying the Enneagram. Actually, each type is more like each color at a Sherwin-Williams paint store. You can't just go buy blue. Because there are thousands of different variations of blue. And you've got to find the nuance of the blue you want. Each type has 
so many different expressions that speak to the diversity that is even within the diversity of the Trinity. And there is love and affirmation there. Mm-hmm. But there, are there any other thoughts that come to mind for you, Tyler, that where the Enneagram, there are some truths that it's speaking to that Christians can affirm? Yeah, I just appreciate that it talks about the shadow side, uh, you know, because, you know, I mentioned earlier that we were going, going through foster care classes and, you know, we were taught that in that class that a child uh, it, um is, is basically there's no there's no theology of sin it, it's uh, when a child is crying uh, or they're angry it just means there's, there's an unmet need and is, and you need to go and give them uh, what they want and then their need is met and then they're happy again and then the cycle continues uh, and, and there's other variations of, of that uh, in our culture um, that really say that we're inherently good uh, and that we really don't have a dark side but the Enneagram is very very clear. Uh, that there's this there's this shadow side, um, and so I, I just really appreciate that that it and, and Beatrice Chestnut has talked about you know in all of her lecturing and, and teaching on it you know uh, to to non Christians a lot of people are really taken back by that like we have a dark side <laughs> a shadow side uh, and it's it's a very touchy subject and very hard a hard pill for some people to swallow and so I just appreciate that the anyone comes at you in that way and and it's it's really helped me. You know, even as like a pastor, as I started reading mm-hmm. through it, it was it was uh, very convicting uh, to me. And uh, one of the one of the things that really was convicting was the ways that I try to be like God. You know, we go back to Genesis story of, of Adam and Eve wanting to be like God by eating the fruit of the tree. And, and all of us do that in different ways. And the Enneagram is, is sort of like sniper sanctification in that way. It sort of <laughs> puts puts things in the crosshairs that you hadn't really seen before. And so, for example, as a type three achiever myself, uh, I want to get things done. And rather rather than like rest, uh, I just want to work hard and work and go, go, go and kind of want the glory for myself. You know, mm. I, I kind of as one one person put it, uh, I, I tend to photobomb Jesus. You know, I try to stick my, myself in his view of saying, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. And I want to be like That's God. Great. I want to be in. I want to be very productive without resting and I'll sacrifice my family or I'll cut corners on integrity, um, you know, and and just refuse to to slow down. Uh, That's the temptation as a three. And I I didn't really realize that. I didn't know that uh, before studying the Enneagram that helped me to to see how I was being like God rather than imaging him and giving him Mm -hmm. the glory that's, that's due his name. So good. Yeah. And, like you said, on the positive side, so that's that's on the convicting side. On the positive side, uh, I love, you know, I first came across Marilyn Vansel's book. This is the first book that I read. And Beth, you've taught a lot about this too, and, and Jeff. But just, you know, her pointing out that like ones uh, image the goodness and rightness of God. That twos image yeah. the love and care of God. That threes image the hope and radiance of God. Fours uh, radiate the creativity and depth of <laughs> right. God. Uh, fives radiate the wisdom and truth of God. Sixes uh, radiate the faithfulness and courage of God. Uh, sevens uh, radiate joy and abundance. The eights reflect God's power and protection. And that nines reflect his peace and oneness. Like that is powerful. And when I know that, especially as I'm going through that with people in my church, I can almost uh, you know, practice sniper encouragement where I can zoom in on that and say, 
I see that being reflected in you. Uh, and I want to call out greatness in you. And I want to, I want to see that grow in you and that ability to, to make peace. In a world where there's a lot of peace faking, I think Beth is making peace. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so that, that's just, I, especially as a three that loves to encourage and empower people and gift of encouragement is one of my, my strengths. And I knew that before the Enneagram. Uh, this has really served me well in being able to encourage people in ways that it's like dynamite. That just, it just blows up. Uh, and uh, really makes an impact in people's lives. And so I just love it because I feel like I can encourage people better. Bethy, how has the Enneagram been a, a helpful tool um, as it relates to Christians' lives and their relationship with God and with others that, that's really been helpful? Yeah, I mean, uh, just like what you guys were saying, I think one thing that's been really helpful is that a lot of times we think what we're doing is actually good. <laughs> Because we're like so convinced from our our vantage point, like my perspective, you know, like as a nine, I'm super thoughtful and accommodating and encouraging and I don't want to stir up conflict. And I think that's the good right way of doing things. And I think it's the right way to go along, to get along. That's being humble and, and kind it, to it, people. It makes me think about uh, Jesus with the Pharisees saying like you... Uh, You've been doing these things, but you, you've never known me. Right. And so for me, obviously some of those things are good, but a lot of times I put all my hope in that basket. Like, oh, well, if I can just be more comedy, more humble, more peaceful, more whatever, that will make me the better person. When in fact, what I was doing as I was negating the the good that God had put in me and not showing up to life. I wasn't engaging with life. I wasn't sharing the good things that God had given me to others. I was just allowing others to live their life and trying to shine the light just on them. Now, some people might hear that and say, oh, you don't want to become boastful. I'm like, yes, exactly. The nine hides. And so we hide the gifts. We basically, we hoard the gifts that God has given us and we are not blessing others. So I've had to learn, oh, my actual growth path is not, it is not being arrogant. It's not being boastful, but it's engaging with life. It's showing up to life and it is blessing others in an active form with what I can offer. And trust me, that's hard for me now for someone like Tyler, who's a three, he can do that all day long. That is, that is his gift to get out there and to give everyone what he has to offer, but he has his own things that he has to work on. Like he just mentioned. So what I love about the Enneagram is it like, I love that terminology, sniper sanctification. It helps us to understand our heart and when it starts to uh, go off course of being more like Christ, trusting ourselves, and it has that rumble strip. The Enneagram just kind of wakes us up like, uh, I know you think that's the right path, but it's not. And when you keep doing it, you're going to fall into a common pitfall. So we can use the Enneagram as an alert system to wake ourselves up that we are going away from. Christ and trusting him and the Holy Spirit and moving back into submission and trusting what he has for us. But usually that path is hard. Usually everything inside us says, no, don't do that. Like me showing up all the time, doing your Enneagram coach stuff on one side. I love it, but there's a huge part of my nineness. It's like, this is so hard to continually engage in tough conversations and yet it's good. And so a lot of times the difficult path for our growth, it's there because we need to depend on Jesus. 
Well, the last thing that I'd love to for you guys to sh uh, speak to is that what has been some of the fruit of using the Enneagram in the context of uh, of ministry? What have you seen in the fruits of people? I, I'm also mindful of um, Rowling's quote that we mentioned early in one of the earlier episodes about, you know, she's never heard a child go into witchcraft um, because of one of her books. You know, have you have you ever heard of or anybody in your church becoming an occultist going into the new age because they learned about their type? I, I've I've never I've never experienced that, Tyler. No, nope. No, no. No, no, no. I think just one of the things that is, I think is the most troublesome uh, is not, you know, going off the deep end spiritually, going to witchcraft. It's just, it's just Christians who uh, um, use it in the wrong ways, you know? That's right. and, and so that's, and you guys have talked about Enneagram ethics before. It's something that comes up a lot and it's something that needs to be talked about over and over again as we teach. Uh, just the Enneagram ethics of how to use it appropriately. And again, to not push our conscience on other people to like, you got to use this. Um, there's a girl, right. there's a girl on our team that I deeply respect. And uh, she just feels like some people have used it like to put her in a box. And, uh, and so I just don't talk about it around her. And I'm just super respectful of, of just right. being mindful of how I, you know, I don't want to be the Enneagram guy as a pastor. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to be um, the Enneagram nut, you know? Well, that's yeah. the thing. I think a lot of times when people are around us, they think, oh, you want to talk about Enneagram all the time. I'm like, we actually don't. Like, like, yeah, yeah, we've studied it and we've used it a lot, but it is really not the main topic of most of our conversations. You know, what, what's interesting, um, our hope and goal is using the insights of the Enneagram that when people walk away from a conversation with us, they will have experienced the truth of the gospel in a new way. Yeah, That's what we would much rather people walk away with than Absolutely. just knowing their type. Yeah. It's just a, it's one of many things we might talk or use to point them back to Jesus. It is interesting. I mean, one of the comments that we get from particularly those who are not religious, not Christian, after they take our assessment, and we immediately will talk about our relationship with God, with our relationship with Jesus. And they're like, stop bringing religion into it. And I'm like, hey, this is who we are, and this is what we believe is the solution to your unhealthy patterns. Mm -hmm. And so um, there are other great resources out there that you're welcome to go and use, but we may not be the source for you. Well, and I, you know, what you were saying, Tyler, also about ethics of the Enneagram, you know, I'm always pleading from people uh, or for people to use it correctly. You don't want to use it as a sword or a shield. You don't want to use it to harm others by belittling, being sarcastic, um, or just, you know, being blunt and mean and straightforward or just little teases. I mean, this gets to the core of who we are our core motivations, our fears, desires, longings, weaknesses. And so we have to be very gentle. If we're really serious about living our life as brothers and sisters in Christ, it is not to use this in a way that's harmful, not even just for to others, but even harmful to ourselves. Um, but we also don't want to use it as a shield like, well, Jeff, you know, I'm a nine, so I don't like conflict. So we're just never going to discuss things that are conflictual. Like that is not going to promote growth in our relationship. Now, are there ways we can do conflict better? Sure. And is it going to be uncomfortable for me as a nine? Absolutely. Oh man, Beth and I have had this 
fantastic conversation over the past week about me talking about my anxiety and the word choices that I use and how she experiences those word choices. And because it, in her mind, she's like, man, you, you sound like you're always scared and always fearful. Um, and she hears that at like a level maybe six or seven, where I may be experiencing it as a level three or four. But it, the Enneagram gave language to it, and but it's not... The goal of the conversation is not me saying, I'm just going to be a scared person for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's actually, yeah, what am I experiencing? And is that fear true? I mean, I I love the the biblical formula, fear not for I am with you, that my fear is the invitation to experience the presence of Christ. And my wife is able to move towards me to say, hey, you've been using this term a lot. What's going Mm -hmm. on in your heart? which actually becomes an opportunity to grow. Well, and plus, as a nine, I want to jump to and like make everything right and better. And so you're happy. And then Which that, sounds like a great Christian wife. It, like you don't want your husband to be fearful. Right. I mean, so there's part of it that's good. And then there's part of it that I'm really trying to be the rescuer. Yes. And not pointing you back to Christ. So that's where the conversation comes in of having these real honest conversations not again, talking about the situation, if people could see us, you know, right here is like putting the conversation, you know, maybe a foot or two away from you guys, instead of at each other, you know, so talking about his word choice of whether it's fear, anxiety, scared. And Beth doesn't sit there and say, when I say I'm fearful or whatever, like, oh, you're just being a six. Right. That would not be good. (laughs) Right. Shame. That's That's the sword. And then Jeff, you know, doesn't go, well, I'm just a six. You should just deal with it. So, what God is calling us to to do is to renew our mind and to transform into the likeness of Christ. The Enneagram just helps us to understand where we might, you know, sin or fall short or weaknesses, the things that, are, you know, are the thorn in our side that we have to come back and cling to Jesus. John Stark has a great line on that. Uh, you, you know, he came out uh, several years ago with a, with a, there's a little article that Christianity, Christianity Today published Um and he says, quote, the Enneagram helps us see how fear might be controlling us, how shame might be motivating us, and how guilt might be crippling us. Like a, like a tracer chemical in the bloodstream that helps identify the disease, the Enneagram brings to the surface indicators of what might be motivating sinful or harmful actions and patterns. And with those resources, we can press into Christ seeking healing in the gospel. I think that's what you're talking about, Beth, is... Wow. It's, it's, it's this, it's this tracer chemical in the bloodstream that, that identifies like, okay, what's, what's going on. And Tyler, I saw this in your notes and I'm, I'm going to steal it. So um, I, I didn't know someone actually said it, um, but it's, this is the power of self-awareness. Uh, you know, Kurt Thompson, a um, couple of great, great resources that, uh, from him is Soul of Shame and the Anatomy of the Soul. And in the Anatomy of the Soul, Thompson says, he's a Christian. He says that self-awareness is over half the battle of transformation. And the reason he says it's over half the battle is it won't get you all the way there. <laughs> Without the Spirit of God, um, I mean, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll never get there. But mm-hmm. you can't change what you're not aware of. Uh, like if, re- if repentance means to change your mind, and that's what the word means, you can't, you can't repent about what you don't know about. Like, like you can't change what you're not aware of. Um, so, so self-awareness, the Enneagram bring into light these core motivations, these, these things that are cooking inside of us um, that we're operating out of, uh, that we're living in the defense of. 
it, it brings this stuff to the surface so that we can change with the power of, of Christ. Yeah, well, Tyler, we've all had an opportunity to riff, so uh, now, <laughs> now, <laughs> now you get the mic. <laughs> I just don't, I want people to understand like how transformative this has been in my relationships, uh, yes. with my marriage. Uh, and uh, here's, here's, I think this, this will be helpful in light of our conversation here, is that I have a theological understanding of pride as a Christian and as a pastor. Um, where the, the Bible doesn't help me is when my coworker, who's an eight, I co-lead a church uh, with an eight. What it doesn't help me with is to, is to discern what he means by what he's saying all the time. And, and so when I, when I understand pride, and, but oftentimes for eights in the past, I just feel like their, their attitude, the word, their word choices that they have, the swag, the, the confidence that they have. Uh, before learning the Enneagram, I thought much of that was pride. Uh, and now that I understand the Enneagram, I have a lot more love for eights. I understand where they're coming from. I love the, the self-confidence that, they, that God has given them. And so it just helps me to appreciate that, uh, to not label everything that eights do as pride, because uh, it's not. And the same is true with my wife. You know, when we right. went through a season of infertility, we grieved very, very differently. And me as a three... Uh, I just kept saying, oh, it's just hoping. Oh, it's going to happen. We're going to have kids someday. Don't worry about it, honey. Stop crying. And she's over here as a six, just thinking about the future, uh, planning for the future, and just thinking about all the worst worst case scenarios. Like, it's not going to happen for us. And she's crying and she's crying. And I have a theological category for faith and believed that I actually had faith and she didn't. And that's just, that's just utterly wrong. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a different, it was a different form of grieving. And actually my faith was a naive faith. I was just shoving it under the rug saying, Oh God, the God, the God will do this someday. Um, but, but I just wasn't willing to deal and actually grieve. And so I was yeah. mislabeling my wife as pessimistic right. without faith. Um, mm and labeling her and seeing her in a light that I shouldn't have been. And any, if I would have known the Enneagram back then, uh, I would have been able, to, I think, to enter into that, that pain with her more. Well, I stand in solidarity with all other sixes who people have said that you don't have faith, you're right. just afraid. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, faith, faith yeah. is, uh, yeah, I think it was actually Richard Rohr who said that the opposite of, um, the opposite of faith is not uh fear it's uh, certainty <laughs> so it if you're not afraid you don't even need faith like you don't, what are you trusting god for if you're not a little bit scared yeah, you know yeah. i mean the the journey of following jesus is a, is a journey of trust and courage and so faith is a huge part of that like the way i've learned not to shame my fear is that my feelings are places to meet with god Yes. Uh, so my fear, my even or, or other emotions, sadness, grief, shame, these are these are just places to meet with God. And Tyler, I want to affirm something about you just illustrated um, a great example of how the Spirit of God used this tool to help you love your wife. And I think um, that's you know to go back to your question, kind of your closing question, Jeff, of what's been the fruit of this um, is. You know, our 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 goal as disciples is to abide in the love of Christ, mm -hmm. and then being rooted in the love of Christ, 
to actually be transformed into the image of Christ so that, you know, if we're rooted in Christ's love, the fruit of our life is love. We become love. We become the image of love, which is how Jesus summed up his greatest commands, right? Of loving God, loving one another, love your neighbor, love your enemy. And so uh, I think the Enneagram is such a helpful tool in helping me have compassion for other people because I understand that there's always a deeper why behind the reason people do the things they do. So if I've got, you know, I've got a really good friend who's an eight and, you know, he won't mind me sharing this about him, but like he comes across as he's, he can be hurtful, but what I've learned and he has learned is that hurt people hurt people. So beneath his acting out is a a tender place, a vulnerable place. There's, there's core Mm -hmm. things that are happening there. And the Enneagram has put a, put that in the crosshairs, Tyler, as you say, it's put this in the crosshairs for him. And now he can see this. I see this. And, and I have a context where love can grow and, and I I can begin to have compassion for these parts of him and I can have compassion for these parts of myself. So I really think uh, this is a tool that the spirit of God can use to accelerate growth, highlight where you need to grow and really help you uh, abide in the love of Christ and, and, and become love. Well, Tyler, um, I'd like to give you uh, anything, last things that you'd like to share as we kind of close out this series of podcasts. And um, is there anything that's on your heart that maybe hasn't been said that you'd like to share? No, just to reemphasize our heart. Uh, this is something that I had shared on the, the Anycast uh, podcast. It's sort of like a, a ended up being like a final benediction. <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's, it's this, is that, you know, only in the gospel is there hope that we will be united with God and our loved ones in the life to come. That's good news. Only in the gospel will we find true meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. And uh, only in the gospel do we receive the supernatural power to change. And only in the gospel do we find someone who will never fail or forsake us. And mm-hmm. so the, 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 the goal of what we're saying here is that our ultimate hope is not grounded in psychology, but an actual person, Jesus Christ. And so that, that is what keeps us going. And uh, uh, we take that love to everyone um, around us and minister the Enneagram through that, through that lens. Adam, is there any last words you'd like to share? That's so good. We had a, we had a conversation the other day about how sometimes it was a conversation about speech and uh, the two application points were sometimes we need to talk like Jesus and sometimes we need to not talk like Jesus. And the not talk like Jesus is what, what it's saying is like you need to know when to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> like when do you need to just remain silent? So, um, you know, I, uh, yeah, I think that my closing thought that is kind of just has been cooking in me is just Paul's, Paul's line from 2 Corinthians which goes right along with what Tyler just said, but his line from second Corinthians three, um, 18, you know, and, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed in his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. And so right there, Paul says the, the way that we're transformed is through contemplating or beholding Jesus. Amen. And so, um, you know, to go back to Robert Murray McShane that we, you know, I mentioned in the last episode of he has that classic line of for every look at your sin, take 10 looks at Jesus. And um, what I tell people is like, you have to realize that if you're united to Christ, Jesus dwells in you and you live, you live in him and he lives in you. And there really is this mystical union. 
Um, and he lives in your heart by faith. I mean, that's clear, Ephesians 3. Um, and so whatever you, whatever the Enneagram helps you see beneath the surface, uh, Jesus already sees it. Mm-hmm. And he's already present there. And probably the places that you hate yourself the most are the places that he loves you the most, and he's the most tender toward you. Yes. And his compassion is what leads to repentance and change. And so um, I, I, uh, I think this is a great, um, a great tool to help us really behold Christ, which, which ultimately leads to our transformation. Bethy, what about you? Last words? <sighs> yeah, I, just, I, I think my heart just really goes out to people, and just like what you guys have said is that they would know how loved they are, that the God of the universe left his throne to be born in a manger, to live a really hard life perfectly, then to die a brutal death, to be betrayed, then to rise again solely so that we could be utterly forgiven of our past, present, future sins and given, put on us Christ's righteousness so that when God sees us, he sees his son's righteousness so we can be in right relationship with him. Well, thanks so much for tagging along with us through uh, these episodes talking about should Christians use uh, the Enneagram. Hope you've been uh, benefited by it. And, you know, as we engage in these kinds of conversations, this is part of what discipleship looks like. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ, being in the world and not of it. So although uh, we're talking specifically about the Enneagram, it's also an exercise of our faith and discernment. And so we hope it uh, bears uh, much fruit in your life in a variety of different areas. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for joining us and offering your thoughts. Uh, We're so grateful and happy to have you with us and on our team and uh, serving coaches and all other clients. And Tyler, thank you too for not only uh, just your contribution to these episodes, but your ongoing work through uh, your books, your 40-day journals for each of the types, and for uh, uh, publishing the article that you did on why uh, should Christians use the Enneagram. It has been so helpful and encouraging to us and to our coaches and to our audience. And uh, I just want to say thank you to Beth uh, for going for it, that uh, not shirking back that after uh, over a decade of studying the Enneagram and wrestling through some of these questions, you decided to speak. And uh, there are just millions of people around the globe now who are experiencing the very mission that you have for them to see themselves and to see Christ more clearly. So um, thanks for stepping out. Well, we really appreciate you joining us for this particular series, an important series on should the Christians use the Enneagram. We're so grateful for your comments. We're so grateful for your questions that have both led to this, these particular episodes as well as your comments uh, for them. In our show notes, you're going to find a link to our position that includes some additional resources that we've used to prepare for this series. We encourage you to do your research and to look into it further. And please share this episode with your friends and families who have questions about a Christian approach to the Enneagram. And as always, remember that the Enneagram reveals our need for Jesus, not our need to work harder. It is the gospel that transforms us.